0: Well, good morning. I'm Dave Carlson and I was not here last week, but it's good to be back. Uh, we had Kurt. You guys enjoy Kurt Jones? Yeah, he really enjoyed seeing you guys. Uh, it had been a while since, since he had, uh, he had been here. Can we bring the house lights up a little bit and we're gonna begin our time this morning. We're gonna have some fun this morning. Kids, you are staying in this week, which is abnormal in the sense that usually we have it be, um, only the first Sunday of the month that we do that. But so many of our teachers, um, We're heading out of town that we just decided to leave the kids in here. So we're gonna have a blast with that. Welcome. Good good to see you guys, your smiling faces. Um here's what we're doing this morning. We're gonna start by um I'd like I'd like you, now this is gonna stretch some of you, I realize, but I'd like you um to to form a group of about um Somewhere between about five and eight people. It won't work if it's just you, and it won't work if there's like 20 of you. Now what's kind of nice, Jeff, can we bring that first slide up for me? What's kind of nice is this, is there's a lot of empty spaces here this morning, so you, you're going to get it to stand up and move around and form little pods. And what I want, in a group about this size, we should have roughly, I'm not great at math, but you're a math major, roughly five, six, seven groups, something like that. So what I want you to do right now, if you don't know their name, that's fine. Uh, you can read their name tag, or if they didn't get a name tag, just introduce yourself. But here's what I want you to do. The word collaborate, okay? It means this, to work with another person or group in order to achieve something. Here is what your group is, is tasked with um, achieving, okay? I want you to come up with about a, a top five list. I want single word answers, so someone's going to have to scribe this out, write it out for me. And what I want is this, I want your group to come up with this. What is it, from what your group knows, okay? What is it that Jesus wants us to be? Or what is it that Jesus wants us to do? Okay? Got the assignment? What does Jesus want us to be? What does Jesus want us to do? Work with your group. One word answers. Only about five. Don't give me one answer. Don't give me 25. Give me five. Right now, stand up. Form little groups between five and eight. Everyone participate. You have about two minutes to do this, so you got to hustle. Alright, you should be writing these down. Count it down with me. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, bam. Alright, we get the we got the best counting group back in the far right. Good job, guys. Okay. Alright, here's how this is gonna go down. I am gonna go around to the different groups, okay, and I'm just gonna point at you and I wanna hear one of your answers. If you hear one of your answers read out loud or said out loud, don't repeat it. So try to find one of the, one of the different ones that you have. Okay? So over in this group, John's group, what do you, what do you got for, uh, for one of your top five? Just give me one. Forgive. Okay. Excellent. Next, uh, next person. Okay? Next. Okay. Uh, I'm not even pointing. Where are we at? Who? What? Obedient. Obedient. Okay. Keep going. Now no, no, hold up! Hold up! I am I am the judge and arbitrator of this event. That was an answer. I didn't say. Oh, I, I did say it was one word. <laughs> <laughs> All right, disciples. There we go. Okay, hold up. Hold up. Um, okay, in the back. Worship. Worship, okay? Uh are we have we made our way this way so far? Uh right here Greg uh, Greg's group. Okay? Okay, uh, have, we, have we hit all these groups here? How about over here somewhere? Generous. Generous. Okay. How about next group? Saved. What? Saved. 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 Save. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you he's like trying to leave it at one word, and I just I need more. Like a savings plan or a 401k? Okay, there we go. He wants us to, okay, wrapped up in one word, gotcha. Okay, uh, next group up here. Humble. Humble, okay. What else? Right here. Richard, talk to me, evangelize. Okay, how about this group right here? Alright, now this is just, this is just rebellion now. Now it's, it's the heart of man and sin wells up in that. Do, do the rest of you guys allow this sort of mutiny? Salt and light, that's not, so it's a whole lot of you that's rebelling. You know God opened up the ground on some, okay, let's keep going. How about another one? What? Gather, together, stay in corporate, I like that. What else? Serve, okay? Example. Example. What else? Righteous. Righteous. Was that a cry for help or was that an answer? <laughs> okay. Okay. I would like, um, I would like you to look at the screen for a moment. Uh, we are, we are this morning, uh, talking about. Christ as the center of swing. You can go ahead and uh, return to your seats, you guys. Thank you for doing that. Uh, some people love this kind of stuff, like me. Others of you, just your heart rate just skyrockets, and you're just like, why can't we just sit and just do church? Come on, Dave. <laughs> Knock it off, would you? All right. We're talking about Christ being the center of our lives. And, uh, and this morning, I'm calling it Christ the center of our wardrobe. Now, um, here's what I want to have happen right now. I've asked David Lee to come on up. He's going to read our passage this morning. We're in uh, Colossians chapter 3. And I want you to follow along. We're not going to put it on the screen. Just open your Bibles to Colossians 3. And I want you to listen to uh, to the passage this morning. Go ahead,
1: David, when you're ready. Okay, Colossians 3, uh, uh, verse 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks, David. Let me just say a word of prayer. Father, those
0: are... Um, Those are instructive words, those are encouraging words, Uh, those are reproving and corrective words for us sitting here this morning, God. Would you right now take the moments that we've set aside to gather and um, to recognize you as our God and us as the sheep of your pasture, and we look to you for instruction right now. Uh, Just quiet our hearts, open our hearts, engage our hearts and our minds and help our gaze and our hearts stare to be lifted up to you right now, in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look up here for a second. Kids, this is called an overhead machine. Okay? (laughs) Long before PowerPoint and computers and all of that, this is how we taught, this is how we did worship slides, and we had a really fun time with it. Now, John Giordano, who can't be with us this morning, but he came, uh, late last night and did this, he found me even a really sweet old school stand for this. So, if you just, if you plan to go to the museum this weekend, but you didn't have time, come on up. Uh, after the service, and just take a, take a look at this. No joke, I wiped about an inch of dust off the screen today. But uh, here's what I did. David just read our passage this morning. And even if you can't read this great, this is why they invented computers, kids, okay? Um, written in black over here are the five virtues that David just read from this passion. Uh, I have compassion in my mind. From this passage. And um, here's the point of this. I asked you to gather in groups. I wrote down compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then really bearing with one another and forgiving each other are kind of examples or fleshing out of that. And then love just kind of encompasses it all. I asked you, what would Jesus want us to do or be? I only let you have five answers. Not 25 things, but only five. Look at how these start to to, to line up. I would say that, that witnessing or evangelism is really the kindest thing we can do to someone who we love. Right? It's, it's really an act of, of compassion. One of you said generous. Does he want God's people to be generous? Absolutely. Someone mentioned love. Someone mentioned humility. Someone mentioned forgiving, which is right out of our passage today. Righteousness. I don't even know what that is. Worship. Thank you. can't read my own writing. Uh, faithful. Obedience. Discipleship. Here's the point of this. Do we already know, before we even come to church this morning, do we already know what God wants us to be? We we really do, don't we? Now, these five virtues that, that we're going to look at from the, from the passage this morning, um, it's not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's not like, nail these five and you've got it. Just like last week, um, Kurt talked about throwing off and putting away things. You don't just put away those certain things and then you've got it. There's other junk on my list that's not in that passage. What happens when we become Pharisees, if we take just those five that were thrown off, just these five and put them on, we go, there, I got it. We already know. We're we're not gonna learn maybe tons of stuff that's new, and we can't, we can't claim ignorance in saying, gosh, I just didn't know God that you wanted me to be kind. I lived this life on earth, and I just, that, that never really crossed my mind. I want you to look at the passage this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat uh, in front of you or pop your hand up. One of our ushers will will go and grab you one. But I want you to look at this. Colossians, starting in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I want to pause right there. Sometimes as we read the Scriptures, we jump on to things like a list. It says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. We move on to that part, but I don't want to move on too quickly. Uh, It's really, really important to figure out who we are in Christ. And this passage, I quote often to myself, and I quote this often to people that I'm shepherding. And I just explained this, that do you realize that as a Christian in Christ, you are right now, These things that we just read. Verse 12, look at it again. Therefore, as God's chosen people, you're a chosen person here this morning if you're found to be in Christ. Ben brought up a great point. How many of you kids have ever made a Mother's Day card, a Mother's Day gift, a Father's Day gift? You sat down and you looked at it and you said, I'm going to make this. I'm going to choose to make this. God chose to create you. God chose to make you. And then He chose out for Himself a people. So right now you're chosen if you're found in Christ. That's a really powerful and empowering thought. Beyond that, it says this. Holy and dearly loved. Some of your versions say beloved. Do you realize that right now, you walked into here this morning, if you're found to be in Christ, holy and dearly loved? Again, that's a really powerful idea. I want to read for you. You don't have to turn there, but you can write this down. Ephesians 1.4, it says this, For He chose us in Him, when? Before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. Ephesians 1 5 says, In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Do you hear the language of this? Chosen is woven throughout that passage. Holy is in that passage. Holy and blameless. And dearly loved. In love, he predestined us. It was according to his great pleasure, is how the word really should be translated. And his will, it gave him incredible joy to choose you and and draw you to himself. So as we begin this dialogue on what we're to put on, who we're to be, how we're to act, how we're to grow in these things, it is imperative that we keep coming back to the fact that there's an established identity. Now I know you walk in here this morning like I do, and you say, theologically, I get that. In my head, I get that. I've heard this before. But Dave, I'll be completely honest, I'm not there yet. In fact, not only am I not there yet, I wasn't there five minutes ago. I feel a long way from there. It's not just who we are, it's, it's, it's who, who am I becoming. The, the big theological $5 word for this is sanctification. Sanctification is a fancy word for meaning this, growing in holiness. We as a people are to be growing in holiness, and that's what this passage is talking about. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we said this? Therefore, since we have been raised in Christ, we keep our eyes up. We keep our hearts up. We keep looking up. It came from a place of the fact that we're raised to life. That's how we are empowered to keep doing this very challenging, difficult, trying Christian walk that we're, that we're left here on earth to do. We're made alive in Christ, but, but it's kind of like this. We don't see the full effects of it yet. Let me illustrate this way. I've got this plant sitting up here, and some of you who are quite observant have looked at this and wondered, what on earth is the plant all about? Well, here it is. Here's a nice plant, okay? You can take a look at it. Um, I'm going to do something. Uh, if you have small children, you might want to cover their eyes. Right about now, this could get ugly. Okay? That's just sad. Now, let's put that there. Let me ask you a question: Is this a pretty flower? Okay, I think so. Matter of opinion, but I think it's pretty nice. It has no smell at all. But it's nice looking, right? Let me ask you this. Is this flower dead or alive? Ah, let's take a vote. How many would say this flower is dead? Raise your hand. You have to vote on this. Okay? How many of you would say it's alive? Okay, a little bit of a mixed bag. We've got, we've got a little uh, reality TV show brewing right now, I can tell. I just, I just cut this flower from all sorts of nutrients. Uh, will this plant grow? Okay, it won't grow. Will it? Uh, maybe like a chicken getting its head cut off. Maybe technically it's kind of alive still. You know, inside it's it's got a little bit of stuff going on. But um, this flower, in my estimation, is now dead. Okay, I've 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 severed it. I've cut it. It was a painful and ugly process. Right? Do you realize that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they died? They died right then and there. They sinned against God. They broke, they severed their life source. Now, did Adam and Eve die right away? No. They continued to live. In fact, uh, is this your water, James? This is how I treat guests who come from Washington <laughs> to play in our sanctuary. Now, I'm going to put that in some water. What's that going to do for it? Yeah, it's going to prolong. It's going to, it's, going to, it's going to keep its beauty a little bit longer, right? The full effects of this flower being dead won't be seen now for a good little season of time. If you take a little packet of nutrients and pour it in, you can survive a little bit longer. But really, every time, ladies, you receive flowers, it's a dead gift. I mean, you're, just, you're being given something dead. It's a little bit... It's Frankly, it's a little bit grotesque. Uh, I'm sorry, it's true. Now... Now, for whatever reason, people find joy in that. No, I'm just kidding. They're they're nice. But, but really, this is dead. We're not going to see the full effects of this for a while. Adam and Eve died. They died. They were severed. The full effects of their death weren't seen, really, until they completely physically died, right? Now, let's say that this flower looks really nice for the next six days. I don't know if it has that long, but, but we'll find out. It's not going to fully be seen how dead it is for a while, right? And here's what it is. It's kind of like we all have a view of each other. All we see is kind of this top part. And you go, well, is this flower alive? And you go, yeah, it looks pretty alive to me. But the Bible describes you and I as dead. As dead in our sin until we're made alive. The inverse is true. The moment that you yield to Christ, the moment that He comes and indwells you, you are made alive. Alive. Do you get the picture, though? Are you fully alive? Uh, Yes and no. Are you going to see more of yourself being alive two years from now, ten years from now, into eternity? Absolutely. In the same way that death of Adam and Eve wasn't fully realized until later, in the same way that cutting a flower moments ago won't be fully realized or seen until later, that is the process of sanctification. That's the process of growing in holiness. So here's what I want you to get in all this flower nonsense that I'm doing. I want you to get that in the same way that I killed a flower a few moments ago, you've been made alive, but you won't see the full effects of it right away. Now, a grasshopper, my son Ethan here, a couple days ago, was trying to catch grasshoppers, okay? A grasshopper lives about 90 days. To you and I, we go, that thing's going to be dead in like a week. It will seem like a really short time. To a grasshopper, though, if you only live 90 days, 7, 14 days, that's kind of a longer period of time, huh? It's kind of a big chunk of your life, in fact. You and I are in this process. We're like grasshoppers. We have these, these short little lives. And if you can pull back and have more of a God-like view and say, di- 90 days really isn't that long. 90 years really isn't that long. The process of growth always seems longer to you and I. It always seems longer when your spouse isn't growing the same way as they ought to. And then you realize, oh, neither am I. Gee, neither are my kids. Neither are my friends, my neighbors. And gosh, we sure need God in this. But to, but to go at it from a realization that I am alive in Christ. Every time I celebrate the empty tomb, I ought to celebrate the empty tomb in my own life. I've been raised from the dead. That's where our testimony begins, has its middle, and has its end. I am alive. I've been raised from the dead. I'm alive in Christ. Alright, we're not even out of verse 12 yet, but this is important. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Next time you're in an argument with someone, a disagreement with someone, and they're a fellow believer in this church, outside of this church, in your family, outside of your family, you look at them and you remember, this person is holy and dearly loved by God Almighty. Furthermore, they're chosen. Furthermore, so am I. Let's begin to act that way, and let's act that way out of that realization. All right, we better move on, or else we'll completely run out of time. How do you cultivate virtues? The five things that we read are really just kind of virtues. He uses this this, uh, wardrobe kind of language. He says, as as this, chosen, holy, beloved, you're to clothe yourselves. And he goes on with five different things. The way you dress is, is important. It's not the only thing, and most people in our culture make it way more than it is. But you know what? If someone walks in here, and they're dressed like a a fireman, and they say, Everyone follow me! In that loud of a voice. Honestly, I'm probably following the guy. I'll be the first one out the door. I'll say, Follow me also. (laughs) Let's get out. That's a fireman, okay? Now, if a if a person walked in and they're and they're dressed like the mailman, I'm not making a value judgment here, but they say follow me, I'd say how come? Right? There's a certain there's there's a certain uh, element that you can see from how you dress and how you clothe yourself. Basically, all Paul's saying is this: Christian, you're a new person. Throw off this old stuff. Put on this new stuff. When we got when we got Cassie, Cassie came in some old ratty orphanage clothing. I mean, it looked straight out of a movie. They put multiple layers on her because there's no real heating in her place. And so they dress them like Pillsbury Doughboys and they're all just real thick with clothing. And, um, and it, they, they didn't smell the best. They didn't have a nice you know, odor to them. They had been on her for quite a season of time. Well, what we did when we got her is we played with her. We were in our hotel room those first few moments. she's just so fun and so like, whoa! here it is. Here she's sitting in our hotel room. How crazy is this? And then after a little season of time, not sure how long we took, but eventually we stripped her down we gave her her first bath, which she hated. She loves them now. And then, did we put on her old clothes? Of course not. We had brought Carlson clothes. She's a Carlson now. She, she needs to dress like a Carlson. So she put on Carlson clothes. We just put on clothes we had brought for her. And, and it was amazing, the transformation, just even looking at your, your kid and going, okay, this has been my kid now for a whopping, I don't know, several hours, but already that just felt different. It felt different just by what they had put on. And as a Christian, we're to put off something, right? We're to put on something. Naked is cute for six months olds, you know. But the rest of us, we get creeped out if you come to church naked. So we want clothing. <laughs> Clothing's good. So what are we to put on? We're to put on these five things. Um, now maybe as we as we as we dive into this. By the way, this uh, oh, we're not going to say that.
1: As we dive into
0: this, maybe you're frustrated. You know, you say, man, I really struggle to be kind. I really struggle to be compassionate. Humility, that's just not my calling. And gentleness and patience, those are good for other people. But this can get a little bit frustrating. Because you look at a list that only has five things. And you go, that's pretty hard. I'm not even doing good on two of them. I want you to open your notes this morning. And your notes should be a Yahtzee scorecard. And uh, some of you are already playing Yahtzee in here. That's okay. If I, if I put Yahtzee scorecards in your bulletin, then I, I'd run that risk. These are our notes this morning, okay? We're going we're gonna to basically ask this question. How are we doing with these five virtues? Jeff, I'm missing... Uh, just leave it there. It's not showing up. Um, the Yahtzee scorecard, here's, here's, why, here's why we're doing this. Um, some of you in this room play golf. When I first started to play golf, I made a commitment early on. I decided I'm going to keep my score according to the rules, very, very strictly according to the rules of golf, and here's why I'm going to do that. When you're a shanker and when you're just having struggles out there at a park, as they call it in Washington, you might take a you might take a little duff shot, a little chunk, And it goes in the wall, you're like, that's really aggravating. So you just drop another one. And then your buddies around you, they're like, you know, they want to kind of hurry it up or or they feel bad for you. They're like, here, take another one. Let me take another one. And so, you know, golfers aren't the most honest people. Okay? Uh, Let's just be realistic about that. But what I thought was, I thought, you know, uh, if I shoot a 200, which is an astronomically large, difficult score to get on 18 holes, if I shoot a 200, I want to know that I shot a 200. And here's here's why. I want to know that the next time I go out and play that same course, and I shoot a 180, which again these are hard numbers to hit, people. I've never shot that high, but let's just pretend. I just dropped my score by 20 strokes, and it's not just kind of subjective. I know that I did that. In in reality, I shot in the 120s and the 1 teens for a while, and then the 109s. I was like, oh sweet, I got you know out of the teenage years. Lower is better in golf. Just so you know. I wanted to do it because I wanted to have some objective way of figuring out, am I getting better at this game? And then how thrilling is it when my last final score only has two digits, 99? Woo! Sorry, that was ear piercing. <laughs> That's thrilling! I only, I got a 99 now. I broke 100. That's a big deal. So when you keep the score real, it, it just, it just helped me get a, get a gauge on that. Now here's what happens sometimes in church. In church, what we do is this. How hard is it to get an objective reality score on your compassion quotient? I'm sure some smart people in this room could write some algorithm that would figure that out, but I don't know how to do that. I just don't. That's tough to do, huh? How about your love quotient? How about your bearing with other people quotient? How are you doing on that? It's hard to get an objective opinion on this, right? To someone you've been kind to all your life, you know, your puppy, he goes, yeah, you're awesome, you're off the scales, you're huge at this. But in general, how are we doing at this? This is really, really challenging to do. You can fall into two extremes. You can, you can pat yourself on the back and think you're doing amazing in all of these. I'm roughly doing pretty good. I'm, I'm a pretty good golfer. Why? Well, it's because one out of five shots, I hit it straight down the fairway. Well, big deal. You're shooting 140. That's a lousy golf score. You're not a good golfer. Yeah, but one in five is an amazing shot. But that's not the game of golf. I'm a really kind person. How do you know? Well that last time this person gave me too much change uh, you know, at the at, at, at the you know, food place, whatever, and I, I gave it back. I didn't want their, their, their drawer to be short. Wow, good for you. You hit it down the fairway. But who's how about the rest of the how about the rest of your day? How about the rest of your decisions? Me too, I'm turning the, the picture on myself too. So how do we do this? This can be a bit challenging. The other extreme of this is wallowing in the mud and going, I'm dirt, I'm never kind, I'm never compassionate, I'm never any of this. And that's where some objective reality brings some light and says, you know what, you are actually a far more gentle person since you've been walking with the Lord these last five years than I've ever known you to be in the previous. That's where you go, whoa, that must be... God at work in me. Because I've tried to be gentle my whole life. I can't do it. But since becoming a Christian, that's changed. I just spent some time yesterday with my mom. My mom is a far more patient person right now, having walked with the Lord for about a decade now, than she ever was growing up. That's the work of Christ in her. That'll be uplifting to us. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I think we know what compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience uh, are. But I just want to make a couple comments. And what I want to encourage you with this Yahtzee scorecard is this. Maybe you can do some different creative things. Uh, David was sharing with me something that he does with his family, just to cultivate uh, what God wants from us, to cultivate biblical ideas. And so maybe you'll take this, and you know, maybe the ones are kindness. And, and uh, game one through six can be day one through six. And you as a family just go, man, let's just, let's just talk about this. Let's just have a dialogue. This isn't for you to keep score on everyone at the office. Up, oh, that's a oh, that's a minus two on you. <laughs> Yatsi, you know, to the boss because he's going to give you a raise. That's not what this is about. This is for you. This is for you to reflect. Think of this as a creative way to journal. Many of you don't journal. I struggle with journaling, but this is a creative way to say what has God done in my life. Why did I mark uh, on a scale of one to ten? Why did I mark a seven on um, on humility back on Tuesday? You're not parading this. You're not posting this on the Internet. You go, oh, yeah, I willingly took a hit and didn't open my mouth to justify myself for it, and I viewed that as Christ-like. That's kind of encouraging. Why are there ones the rest of the week? Oh, yeah, I blew it. (laughs) But you can look at it and just start to kind of... uh, Keep score a little bit. Now, I'm not talking about Pharisee, keep score the rest of your life. This is a way to engage our mind and awaken a part of us that maybe hasn't been there before. Very quickly, I'll go through these very fast, but compassion. Jot down if anything makes sense to you. Compassion, quite simply, is a deep, gut-level feeling of pity. Some of you heard, one of you called me uh, on, I don't even know what day it was, but they called me and they said, Dave, we we were um, we were in tears and we thought of you guys when we heard this gut-wrenching story about Stephen Curtis Chapman this week, whose youngest adopted daughter from China was run over and killed by, by one of his teenage sons. Part of why that is gut-wrenching to you is that you immediately can, can put on your own kid's face there. And some of you have teenagers and you go, man, not just the kid who, who passed away, but how does that teenager feel? And how is that family going to cope? And so we as a family, we prayed for the Chapman family this week. I don't even know them. I've never met the Chapman family. But God, would you be their strength? Would you be their comfort? Compassion, you feel it right here. I felt that when I heard that news. I felt it in my gut. It's like someone kicked me in the gut. Here's the opposite of of compassion. The opposite of compassion is indifference. Or just ignoring. That's too painful. That's a, that's a difficult place to go for me. So I just I want to ignore that. I try to keep up on world events. It's a struggle. But I try to keep up on food shortages and different ways to pray. And you guys have heard of just the things going on in the world. Compassion says, I want to care about that. I want to do something about that. Some of our own body, they're not with us today, but they're, they're going down to Louisiana in a couple of weeks to just do something about it. These poor people still are living in a FEMA trailer. I've been inside one of those. They're not fun. They used to have a house, and now they live in a trailer. It's more than two years later. It's pushing three now. Compassion just says, I want to do something about that. Here's what kindness is. Kindness is uh, described as a sweetness of disposition. I like this. Listen to this. Grace that pervades the whole person. I just think of some of my kindest friends. I go, man, I wish I were more like them. That person is so kind. My older brother by a year and a half, he's just more kind than me. He's always been more kind than me. And I love him for it. He's just a kind person. Do you know that the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 2, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? Man, that instructs me as a father How do I want to instill repentance? That's not always kindness. I know that. I've got some growing to do. I better mark my Yahtzee card. But it's kindness. And how are we doing at that? How are we growing in just just being kind? This is epitomized in the the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. Whether you've been to church a lot or not been to church a lot, most people know the Good Samaritan story. That guy just epitomizes kindness. That's pretty much it. Kind of wrapped up in a nutshell. How about humility? Do you know that humility was not considered a virtue, but instead was, a, had a negative connotation in classical Greek? Humility has a host of other words that are related to it, and it took Christianity, catch this, to elevate it to a virtue. It used to be not a swear word, but it was like a negative word. Humility was not a virtue. I love that it was Christianity that turned that on its head. Because that's what Christ was. Christ took things and turned them on their head. I found this great quote. As I look around our city, as I watch TV, as I talk with people, I'll tell you what's applauded. This is applauded in my kids' school. Self-confidence, assertiveness, And what Disney terms believing in yourself, right? It is really applauded for a person on American Idol to have a level of confidence that we might look at and say, that borders on cocky. That borders on certainly not humility. So we look at that and just judge that and go, well, how do I get ahead? Am I allowed to be competitive? I'm a really competitive person. Am I allowed to be competitive and be holy? I think so. But it sure takes the wisdom of God to kind of know where those fit together. Here's this quote. Listen to this. Humility is the antidote for the self-love that poisons relationships. Humility is the antidote for the self-love that poisons relationships. Do you know that self-love will always poison my relationship with you? It will poison my relationship with my coworkers, with my kids, with my neighbors, always. Because if I'm looking out for number one, meaning me, instead of number two, if I view them that as my neighbor, how am I going to think about the weeds between our property? Self love always poisons relationships. Humility changes that. Gentleness. Christ, was he spineless? No but he was, he was certainly gentle. Gentleness is willing to suffer injury rather than to inflict it. To realize that Christ had every power and every right in the whole cosmos to inflict pain and judgment on you and I, but didn't, that's a great, beautiful picture. He's certainly our example to, to the extreme on that. Patience. Literally, patience means long suffering. You suffer a really long time before you act on it. Now, I know some of you in this room to be exceedingly, catch this, supernaturally patient people. That's a work of God in you. Celebrate that. Don't be afraid on your own, in your own prayer closet, on your own sheet, to go, God, you've done a huge work in me on this. I suffer long. And it's motivated to be like you. It's because I'm created like you. Paul models this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He's talking with a church. He's gone there to love on them and shepherd them. And he says, even when you hurl insults at me, I bless you. Even when you come after me, I take it because I love you. The Corinthian church themselves were exactly opposite of this. They were the ones taking each other to court. Christian to Christian. It's as if Peter came to me and said, Dave, you know what? Uh, I saw you. When you drove by, it flicked a little nail up, put it into my tire. You're paying for that, buddy. I'm like, I'll see you on Judge Judy. And we just go right to court because we can't work it out. That's not long-suffering. That's the Corinthian church. They were not patient with each other. Now... Love is kind of this, uh, by the way, I said earlier, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. These are just kind of fleshing out of these five virtues. Um, I'd like to have, um, Elizabeth, would you come up and help me out with something? It's really simple. You'll, you'll do great at it. This is Elizabeth Garza, and she's my friend, and so I can do this to her. Come stand right in front. And um, actually, face this way, and, um, and just just put this shirt on, okay? It just says that so you know. Okay, she's going to put this on. Let me read a passage for you. Listen to the passage. Don't watch Elizabeth. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. Catch this. Keep facing that way once you got it on. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's an annoyance. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love... I am nothing. Zilch. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Here's why I'm reading this passage to us, church. Because if you go after these five virtues, but it's not flowing from, it's not motivated by love, and first, love from God, peace from God... You're standing with God. Then all these virtues will turn bad. Compassion. Do you know that compassion is not sustainable without the love of God? It's really kind of all the rage to be compassionate right now. Oprah's got a big give going on. Extreme Home Makeover is an awesome show of just blessing people. But you know what? That's going to fade. That's going to fade. It's a fad. It's popular right now. That's not sustainable. Patience gets moldy and it morphs into cynicism. If you're being patient out of your own goodness, of your own heart, you will one day turn into the most pharisaical, judgmental person in the world and you'll be a cynic. Here's how it looks in real life. Man, I suffered all these years for you and now you're 18 and you're moving out on me? Man that was doing it more from a kingdom of self. And finally, humility. Humility, this beautiful thing that we'd say, man, I see that as a virtue. You know what it does? That just kind of ferments and it turns into pride. You let the months and the years go by and you're trying to be humble, that will just turn into pride. Sometimes it looks like this. You never would say this out loud, but you'd say, I am so much more humble than that guy over there. I would never say that about myself. Oh, man, that person... What is that? That's pride. You might look like the most humble person on the outside. This all has to flow from love. Now, turn around and just stand right in front here. Elizabeth, you look lovely in that shirt. Stand right in front of me. I want you standing right there. All right, what does your shirt say? She can read upside down. Give it up for Elizabeth just for that. Stand, stand and face Elizabeth, you have a beautiful smile, so I hope you're smiling right now. I can't see. I I want you just to look at this for a second. Because with all of these virtues, don't you wish that putting on love were this easy? Wouldn't that be awesome? You just put on love. You just take a shirt, you go, boom, love. I'm now clothed the way Christ wants me to. Elizabeth, let me ask you a question. Is it that easy to love people for you just putting on a shirt? Or is it harder than that? Is it harder? Yeah. It's not harder? See, she's got it wired. She's going to preach next week on this. (laughs) Listen, go ahead and uh, leave that shirt on. You can give it to me after the service, okay? I want you to be a visual to our church. Give it up for Elizabeth one more time. She's going to go sit with her family. You know what? Uh, All of this is hard. Putting on patience is very difficult. Putting on kindness is hard. Putting on humility. Remember, this isn't an exhaustive list. If you walk out of here going, phew, I got those five, you're in a world of hurt because there's a lot more. Love covers just so much more than that, doesn't it? It's challenging. Therefore, as God's chosen people, this is all a byproduct of being possessed by the Holy Spirit. That's all it is. If you're not possessed by the Holy Spirit, you will try to do this stuff, but it will be far too challenging for you. Let me move on. Very quickly, I want to show you this. Three priorities of the new man, the new woman, the new self that hasn't been cut, but instead has been grafted in. And now we abide in Christ. And now we're made alive. Here they are. The peace of Christ, the Word of Christ, the name of Christ. This is from verses five 15-17. Uh, through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do you know that peace ought to be a priority for you? Peace first with God is kind of like a, a treaty or a pact that you might have. Two nations that were warring have now made peace. But you can also think about peace as an inward security, an inward rest. And you guys know what that's like when you just sleep like a baby and you go, man, it is just awesome to have peace. Do you know that one kind of peace, peace with God, leads to the other kind of peace? Rest, security. And this peace ought to rule in our hearts. The word rule there is this idea of an umpire making a call. You know what an umpire does? An umpire decides between uh, two opposing sides who's right and who's wrong. So how does the peace of Christ, let me just ask you this, how does the peace of Christ affect my decisions tomorrow morning as a Christian? How does it affect what I think about? How does it affect how I act and what I do and where I go and what I buy and what I choose not to buy? Two questions might enlighten you on this. You can ask yourself this. Does this activity or thought further or perpetuate oneness with God and with his church? I'm unified with Christ. I'm one with Christ. Does this thought, keep my treaty, keep my pact, keep my peace with God, or does it violate it? Two countries at war, you shall not be making bombs underneath the earth that can destroy us. That's written down in the pact. But secretly, you're doing it. That's violating the pact. So the way that peace can umpire our lives is to say, does this event right here, is this an affront to God? Is this breaking that relationship I have with God? And here's the second question you can ask. Will this activity, thought, event, whatever, leave me with a deep and lasting peace? I'm about to go do this. I'm about to say this. Will I be able to put my head on the pillow tonight and just be at peace? Or is this going to haunt me? One week from now, am I going to feel good about this? Or is this going to haunt me? It's going to keep me up at night. Am I going to have the regret that says, Man, I wish I never ever wrote that email. I wish I never ever said that. How could I? So that's the way that peace can umpire our lives. That's how the peace of Christ can rule in our hearts and lives. How about the Word of Christ? It says, verse 16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell is just to be at home. It's to let your life just kind of soak in it. I love In-N-Out Burger. I don't eat much fast food, but I love In-N-Out I can only eat it once in a great while, or else I would just not be very healthy at all. But I hang around college students, so I go to In-N-Out once in a while. When I go eat In-N-Out, I eat maybe, let's say, let's say once a month. I don't know if 12 times a year I get there, but let's say 12 times a year, I eat In-N-Out. I don't smell like In-N-Out this morning to any of you, I hope. I haven't been there in weeks. Okay, Now, what about if I worked at In-N-Out? I have a ton of friends who spend eight hours at In-N-Out. I haven't tested this because I don't want to, but I guarantee you they smell like In-N-Out when they get into their car. They have to wash and scrub to get the In-N-Out off of their body, I'm sure. I may live with an In-N-Out employee one day, but I hope not, because I'm sure it just kind of permeates. You take an In-N-Out employee and you squeeze them and wring them out and burger grease trips off. I mean, they're just, they've been soaking in it, right? What if, the, what if the Word of God were like that? What if our life just reeked of the Word of God? What if it just came out of us? What if people go, and I just smell Scripture around this guy? Not in a literal sense, but in a, but, but in a metaphorical sense. Because we're so seeped in it. But, but you see how that can't happen if we pop into the Word once a month for a quick meal? A quick double-double, some fries and a shake or something, and we just go, yeah, I, I pretty much let the Word of Christ dwell in me. no. It's got to it's gotta just soak. You've got to be there in it. That's what it looks like. Here's how this is done very quickly. Romans 10, 14 says this. You've got to hear the Word of God. I'm preaching to the choir here. You're at church on a Sunday morning. You've made an investment this morning to hear God's Word preached to you. I talked to my brother this week. He said, you know, our preaching is okay, but I'll tell you what. I never feel convicted. He goes, their their messages are too easy to listen to. And I kind of have a sense that that's wrong. I go, I would agree with that, brother. I think that's wrong. I don't know if the whole council of Scripture is being taught to me if I never, week after week, feel convicted. I need that. I need to sit here in this room with you. I need to hear God's Word preached to me. In fact, I listen to God's Word throughout the week as well because I really like hearing it. Here's the second thing: is to handle it. Second Timothy two fifteen says, "Do your best to present to God, uh, to present yourself as uh, to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who handles the word of truth, who handles correctly the word of truth." Takes more time than just picking up a sword once in a while and going, "Woohoo!" It's how do you handle it? How do you dive in and really get a grasp of it? Psalm 119 reminds us to hide it in our heart. That's just scripture memory. That's just being around the Word so much that it starts to to come out of you as you think about life and and whatnot. And finally, hold it fast. This is the person who just says, man, this this truth to me, you can't yank this out of my hand. And I'm going to hold on to this for dear life through thick or thin, even if I've had a week like the Chapmans have had this week. And that's where the community comes around and supports and helps you But these are some ways. I'll leave that screen up for a moment so you can write those down if you want to. The Word, God's Word, in the heart and mind of you and I is this idea of a handle. It gives the Spirit something to turn the will. It gives it something to grab onto because we've got His Word in us. I want the band to come on up. And we're going to move into a season of worship right now. I want to not skip over. As a worship leader... I love this passage. In fact, it's helped shape my philosophy of worship and how I engage in worship and how I teach worship and how I worship God myself. Look with me in verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, And spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. I want to point this out because this is important. Music is one of those divisive kind of topics for a church. And it can be in ours as well. It's not right now. There's not a huge wedge. There's not a petition of people that I know about who are proclaiming we only must do such and such. But that happens. And this is important to teach. Do you realize that there's teaching and instruction that goes on as we sing? Some of you go, man, I wish you'd preach shorter, Dave, and sing longer. Some of you go, let's just get a couple songs in. Let's get into the Word. That's just the variety of who we are. Some of us learn and feel differently. The whole idea of dwelling in the Word of God, though, is not to amass information and just go whoop and just fill our head up with all kinds of information. It's for the purpose of transformation. Transformation. And that's why I think God has right here, tacked on to teaching and admonishing, singing. Because singing hits our emotion and hits parts of our brain and ingrains truths deep down into our soul in a way that words just can't produce. And all of us, no matter how musical or unmusical you are, know the truth of what I'm speaking right now. As we sing in just a couple of moments, don't think that we're done Learning. Teaching is the positive statement of learning. Admonish is the negative part of learning. It's kind of like warning. We need negative teaching also, don't we? Don't touch! Don't cross that street. We need that. Let the words of these songs do this for you. Just really quickly, Psalms. Do you know that we sing... These these songs that I'm going to list right here are all Psalms. Old Testament Psalms right here in the middle of your Bible, put to music. Here they are. My hope is you, better is one day, thy word, your love, O Lord. Those are all psalms just put to music. We do those in here regularly. How about hymns? A hymn I would just express, I would just say this, it's an expression of praise to God. Now some of when you think hymns, you think of the the hymns that we do here like these. Come thou fount, all creatures of our God and King. Amazing grace. Oh, Worship the King, Joyous Light. Those are just the old hymns. Those are the ones that were written in the 1800s and 1600s. We do those, but there's some modern day hymns. People are still writing expressions of praise to God. I would put these in that camp, famous one. How great is our God, wonderful maker, holy is the Lord. This is our God, you alone, our great God. As we sing these songs, we're learning of the very nature and character of the one that we worship. There's learning and instruction to go on here. And finally, spiritual songs. These just emphasize testimony. Here's what our great God does for us, in us, through us. Here's a heart of worship and praise back, just a prayer kind of a thing. Lord, we ask, sustained, stir in me. We prayed earlier to music and overwhelmed. So as we worship together, body, realize that, that we're doing this collectively and that we're learning. Here's what I'm driving at is this. The worship doesn't end when the singing is done. I hope that you've been worshiping as we've looked at God's Word here. I hope we didn't stop worshiping to listen to some joke or talk. What a waste of our morning. Wouldn't that be a waste? But to worship and say, God, I want to fill my brain with this. I want to be guided by this. I I want to be umpired by your Word. So the worship doesn't end when the singing is done, nor does the learning end when the preaching stops. And I will stop, I promise. But when it ends, don't just check out and go, cool, we've got a couple closing songs. What's for lunch? What are the announcements? But to stay engaged in it. Finally, I, I can't pass this up. We can't go on without looking at this. Everyone just look at your thumb for one moment. Okay. You go, Dave, everything you said today sounds awesome. I can't remember all of it. Here it is. I don't know where rule of thumb came, but I think it's from people who go, I just can't remember all that. You go, here, here's the rule of thumb. One thing. You've always got it in front of you, okay? Here's the rule of thumb. It's verse 17. Look at it with me. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through Him. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of Christ. Pretty simple, huh? I can't remember uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's too hard to memorize. You don't need to. Whatever you do, whether it's word or deed, whatever, do it all for the glory of Christ. What if we acted that way? What if the rest of today, everything we did, we could say, yep, God would put His seal of approval on this. He would approve of this. That's your rule of thumb. Right now as we sing, sing, worship God. To the glory of His name. Close your eyes for one moment. I know we're over time right now. But I want to to keep you engaged. Kids, you've done a phenomenal job. I want to zero all of our attention right now, church, to the reality of this God that we're about to sing to and glory in. As we take our offering in just a moment, that ought to be a rule of thumb. We're doing this for your praise and for your glory. We're doing this from a position of being raised from the dead. How could we not sing with joy on our faces? How could we not praise you with thankfulness overflowing from us? God, we need your help in this. Remind us, remind individuals in this room this morning of Your love for them, of the fact that they're holy, of the fact that they're chosen and dearly loved, welcomed in, adopted kids of Yours. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.